Good morning and welcome to the Solving Wildfire podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gardner. This is a highly abbreviated Flashpoint edition. You can access the full conversation on the main show. Today, we have Vienna Cornish joining us. She has spent the last six years as a lookout in southern Idaho, living and working from a tower that can only be accessed by helicopter or hiking. I think you'll appreciate her very thoughtful and balanced views she's developed over the years, interfacing with multiple agencies. Being at Flashpoint, let's go. I have a very kind of healthcare skeleton journey. I attended college in Northern California, just getting a degree to set myself up better for life. I ended up studying film and television production and French, so nothing related at all to working in the woods or fire. But I did grow up in an area where we were bordering a lot of public land and that wildfire was definitely a presence during the summer season in the area. But I was working in film production in Los Angeles. I also spent a summer working in trails and I loved it. It was one of the hardest and most rewarding jobs that I've done. Lookouts in that area would periodically come off the mountain and we would cross paths. So when it came time where I realized, oh, actually the lookout might be something that would be fitting for me right now, And it was just sort of like the right convergence of events and being at a specific stage in life. I also was offered to start working early in the season with the fire crew that was stationed out there near where I was going to be a lookout. And they said, if you're interested in going through the guard school firefighter training, we can set that up for you too. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. Whatever you're offering, I will take. Which is a little interesting because I have throughout most of my life had quite a phobia of fire, quite a intense fear and aversion to it. So I knew, though, that this was one of those things I wanted to just face head on and kind of overcome that fear. I think that a lot of my interest in fire ecology and issues surrounding the dangers of wildfire and the benefits of wildfire and just the larger conversation as a whole was really informed by a lot of the work that I did with the prescribed wildfire and fuels programs. There's an element where humans are indispensable and cannot be replaced by sensors, machines, and robots. But there's also a place where robots, machines, and sensors can do the job better than a human. What are your views on the replaceability of humans for lookout towers? Um, It is definitely um, a hot topic in the world of lookouts. There are definitely a variety of attitudes within different forest and regional management about the usefulness and the priority of the lookouts. Just as of last summer, that state agency decided to not staff those lookouts and to set up cameras in them. I don't actually know if those cameras have been installed and what type of equipment they have been using or will use and what usefulness they've got out of those yet. There's been actually very little conversation about what the camera has done. I have not heard of it being used specifically to identify a start that they responded to and were able to contain quickly. I can't say that it hasn't happened, but I don't know. Also, I know that there are much more advanced systems than what they have. They don't have the state of the art. You commented earlier that prescribed fire was one of the largest activities that you were engaged in. You having been up there, having some experience with what a camera can do versus what a human can do, will a camera be able to replace a human or is there an extra benefit to having a human in that tower? 
So there are other reasons why lookouts have existed many years and that they have not kept up the same number. And some of that is accessibility. Before aircraft was used a lot in firefighting, there was a very slow response time getting to fires. And so having lookouts that were generally called smoke chasers because they would hike out to it and put it out. It was part of their job to also respond. So having the lookouts kind of spread out as densely as possible definitely helped in that regard. And so being able to get smoke jumper planes and helicopters out to remote areas decreased a lot of the need for the lookouts to be so densely throughout Another part of that, too, is there have been larger areas of land designated as wilderness where policy has changed about responding to fire. And it isn't always a full suppression effort. The Forest Service, since the beginning of the 20th century, had initially been a full suppression idea, thinking wildfire is always bad. We must put out fire, conquer it, no fire. And then with time, we've learned that that is not a great way to keep fire under control because the landscape gets overgrown, fuels get overcured, and once a fire starts, it's not always possible to control them, no matter how quickly we can get to them. So that has paired with a growing effort for prescribed fire and trying to learn better how the ecosystems respond to fire and grow best within that. Some of the human element to a lookout as opposed to a camera can be very individual and it can be rather abstract too. For instance, lookouts serve primarily, I think, is early detection and reporting of wildfires, locating them, knowing where they are, seeing them as early as possible, and then communicating that. But that is only one small part of what we do. Another part can be broadly summed up by this idea of situational awareness. Because when dealing with wildfires, there is that huge risk factor. And the best way to mitigate the risk is to know what's happening around you. So the lookouts, aside from looking, they're listening 24-7 to their radios. A lot of the time you're just listening and there's no need to step in. But there are times where fires start and blow up very quickly. There may be people in those locations unaware of what's happening or how close the fire danger is to them. And it's even outside the realm of fire. There have been all sorts of incidences with aircraft, especially where I work. There's a lot of backcountry flying. We're trying to grow our situational awareness as large as possible to know What's happening all the time, you hear things that may seem completely inane. And then 24 hours later, a situation comes up where you're like, actually, that's very critical. And then you can pass it on to pertinent people. So I feel like that is part of the lookout job as a human that there may be some ways to innovate technology to serve a lot of those. But there is also a pretty strong element of intuition that comes along with sitting in a stationary location over a long period of time and seeing the patterns. But you're also interfacing with the public. There are a lot of lookouts that are very frequently visited by the public and serve as secondary visitor centers because they're usually pretty cool spots. 
and people come up there and they're like, what is this? What is your job? And, you know, and they want to hear, or you come up in the middle of the summer and there's like three huge smoke plumes that you can see from that area. And they're like, what's that fire? Where is it burning? You know, like, and so there's a lot of that human interaction that happens. There are a lot of lookouts that feel there's an invaluable human element that would be lost if we replace us with cameras. That being said, I think that there's definitely the human error that comes too. It's very difficult to be vigilant 24-7 all throughout the summer. If you have a lot of area that is inhabited and a lot of recreators, you have a much higher chance for a human start. But that's why you have multiple lookouts and why you also have aircraft. And then also like the satellite component and cameras and things, I think can be really useful in some of those situations. I'm going to back up even further to when you first sent me your email, just because I I think it's an interesting distinction. When I saw your email domain as solving wildfire, I recoiled a little bit. And I think that a lot of people involved in firefighting and fire management probably would, not because they don't see wildfire as an issue that is kind of out of control and impacting a lot of people very negatively, but it does sort of automatically set wildfire up as a problem that needs solving rather than as a very necessary and integral part of the natural ecosystem. So things get very messy very quickly talking about fire and prescribed fire. The ecology is such that even if we could implement prescribed fire to the fullest extent that we want to, right, that we know it's going to require in order to keep healthy forests and in order to keep the ground fuels burned down. There are still going to be situations because of the degradation of the ecology up to this point where, in my opinion, fire is not going to be able to be controlled, at least to the extent that we would prefer, because it is its own element. It's like, I have a friend that just calls it a demigod because it is its own thing. I do think that money is a big part of it and the allocation of funds. Because of how the budget disparity is placed, we have like the Sikorskis and all of these aircraft, but a huge amount of equipment and money and resources that are available for the emergency response to wildfires. Because obviously when the fires get to this point where they're threatening homes and lives. It's sort of just like, we'll give whatever we have and it doesn't matter cost, etc. There's not that attitude about prescribed fire. I think that the topic of money in wildland fire is going to change one of the challenges that we face in innovating, especially with any sort of autonomous technology or technology that may replace roles that are currently being filled by humans. Despite a lot of conversation about firefighters being underpaid for the work that they do, which I am not discounting at all, there are people that do this job because they love it, because they are called to do it, but also because they get paid to do it. There is currently a big difference how much you get paid working wildfire versus prescribed fire. There's a lot more motivation for people to work fighting wildfires when they know that their bank account is going to 
set them up for the off season once they are done. As opposed to, sure, there may be people that like the the involvement and the ethics and everything involved with prescribed fire. But if I do this work, I'm going to end the season with a third or half as much take-home pay or a significant drop. And I think that on a conceptual level, people are not so opposed to innovating But there is going to be resistance, and there is resistance to innovation when it means eliminating work that pays me more and sort of forcing me into a job that pays me less. I know a fair number of people that actually have been working with drones and that have been pushing. They're like, we need to be doing more of this. There's also a lot of skepticism. I think in part because a lot of the drone usage that has happened so far, they're pretty small drones and weather impacts them very quickly. I think people are seeing how the usefulness can expand, but there have also been multiple situations where they hoped it could be useful and then they just had to ground them because of weather. That concludes our Flashpoints edition with Vienna Cornish. You can find the full interview on the main Solving Wildfire podcast website. Thanks for joining.